If you enjoy this show, subscribe to youtube.com slash comic pop for even more deep dives into your favorite comics. All right, let's get on with the show now. Sweeping down upon the underworld to smash gangland, a mysterious, all-powerful character, but a crusader for law. Hello, everybody, and welcome to an impromptu special edition of the Elseworlds Exchange. I am Sal, and I'm joined today by Peter Donahue, cartoonist extraordinaire and, uh, uh, part-time teacher, no, full-time teacher, <laughs> but uh, right now, full-time cartoonist and uh, mm. asterisk uh, teacher as well. Yeah. But, uh, right now, full <laughs> My bad, I had that window open. <laughs> that's okay. That's that's why we do things a little early. But uh, yeah, welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much. Um, thanks for having me and um, doing this. My pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I should also say, also, uh, if you are a fan of Harbor Patrol, uh, the oft neglected D and D esque <laughs> series here on this channel. Uh, Peter, you portrayed Batu, the shape shifting, Facebook That's obsessed uh, do gooder on our team. Yes, yeah. yes, I was. Uh, I was a large four hundred pound pile of dirt who was just here <laughs> to make friends, if I recall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it is again. Welcome uh, to the show. Uh, mm -hmm. What was it? I should also say I've known you for what twenty five years. <laughs> ah, <laughs> just yeah, about right. Yeah. Yeah, we've been on an incredible journey together. It's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, and I'm very excited because uh, this journey we're going to be talking about is entirely yours, but I have a little bit of like, I, I have like notes from my own understanding and observance of it. Uh, so it's, yes. it's, it's exciting to talk about. But ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to be talking today because Peter has, uh, he's in the midst, we're what, five days away from the end? Five days to the end of the campaign. Yeah. Okay. We're five days away from the end of your second campaign successful kickstarter campaign uh which is comics oriented it's from your own original creation i want you to talk a little bit about what it is like that you created uh where they can find it so they have some context for what exactly these kickstarters are uh and then we'll jump into later on like a little bit more about the nitty-gritty about creating kickstarters yeah. and successes and everything like that yeah for sure so um the comic universe, if you can call it that, that I'm that I'm building. The website, the main website is zuzelandthefox.com. Mm -hmm. And I'm pronouncing it incorrectly, even though it's my own creation, because <laughs> you can't put these weird Polish characters in a URL. No. Um, it's Z-U-Z-E-L and the F-O-X, Zuzel and the Fox. And and um, so the main the main protagonist is an anthropomorphic fox who is an agent for the Polish government in the interwar period. And the main graphic novel, which is like 10 years in the making and still not finished, uh, takes place in 1939, right before the Germans invade uh, Poland and kind of kicks off the action of that. So to kind of get there, you know, I had this grand vision of what I wanted to create um, partially very heavily, in fact, um, inspired by Black Sad, which maybe we'll talk a little bit about. Yeah. Um, kind of in terms of the art style and the tone and everything. So it was beyond my ability to do that at the time. Um, and about 10 years ago, this is kind of when the, the idea came about. It actually came about at the Little House, um, if you recall. <laughs> it, I, <laughs> I do indeed. I, I, I don't necessarily have as much of a vivid recollection as you do, I'm sure, because it's your baby. But like, uh, I, I do recall the, the inception of it came from a game we were playing as a group. Right. This was like before Jackbox, but it was that kind of thing, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. I think it, we were just playing it like with, a, with pads of paper now. Right. It was on paper. It was on like a steno pad. Yep. Um, and it was, we were just putting these phrases together. And if, if I recall, it was because on Strip Search, the Penny Arcade <laughs> reality show, 
Yeah, everyone loves um, that show. One of the games that they played, or or no, it was actually kind of the main premise of the challenge, right? They would right. go to this trash can of discarded ideas. Yes. And they would pull two, and then they had to combine them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was that kind of thing, and we just put together this idea of a Polish fox right. who was some kind of secret agent or something. And so the doodle from, it's now 10 years ago, I actually yeah. found it, and it's from 2011. <laughs> <laughs> The doodle is just a fox wearing like one of those, um, those like hats. black lambskin hats, right? Yeah. With an AK-47 and just like, wow, that looks cool. That would be fun. That should be a comic. That's that it. Kind of where the whole thing came from. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, we were just a hotbed of creative ideas at the time. <laughs> it's true. And that's why we, we, we leaned all in on uh, Google Buzz and Google Wave and Google just created Wave, all these ideas. Yeah. And then Google abandoned us and just completely threw it in the trash. Good luck. Do yeah. your creative collaboration somewhere else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so no. Yeah. So it's funny. You, you mentioned um, the inception of the idea because like this is an idea 10 years ago that came from a doodle, as you describe it. And it was, uh, mm-hmm. though it was, by the way, he's really bearing the lead here, ladies and gentlemen. It really looked really awesome. Like it was not only <laughs> expertly crafted, but it also just like it's it told a story. He had like, you know, he had a it, foxes have ex- really expressive faces. Uh, and yet he had like this like kind of really grizzled like worn war-torn look you know he he told he told a story i think he had a cigarette in his mouth (laughs) yeah oh yeah uh but yeah uh but this idea comes from 10 years ago and then here we are 10 years later and you've told how many adventures starring this character or this like some version of this character um so yeah so the web comic which has been running since i want to say 2013 uh is about 112 pages at this point right yeah um and and it began kind of like a gag strip. I was just literally, like I said, I didn't have the skills to tell the story I wanted. So I said, let me start a webcomic to actually learn how to do it. Yeah. Um, and there's this great this great little book that's like from the 90s. It's like one of those weird pamphlet-sized things. Um, it's called something like True Truths or something. I, I can't remember, but it's, it's from this comic creator. Back in the 90s when, you know, zines were like more of a thing. Yeah. And blah, blah, blah. And, and his advice was like, oh, you want to make a comic? There's literally nothing stopping you. you know, just, <laughs> just fucking do it. Just, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, you can, you can photocopy it and staple it together and sell it at the street corner. Just yeah. do it, you know? And so there was kind of that spirit to it. It's like, well, I don't know how to draw in this style that I want to draw in. I don't know how to write a comic strip. I'll just start. I'll just do it. And so the first few comics are kind of that. You know, like, yeah. let me try to like get the timing of a three panel gag down or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, it actually kind of ended up evolving as I started to get a feel for characters and, and a real like appreciation for character driven humor instead of gag driven humor. Right. That's really what it became. And um, so, you know, about maybe 30 comics in, it starts to become all of these arcs of, you know, let's introduce these two characters don't like each other or this guy is always razzing this guy or mm-hmm. whatever. And, um, and that allowed me to play with a little bit more long form storytelling. Right. And then it, it continued to evolve from there. And I said, well, let me give these characters some, some issues, you know, <laughs> let me complicate their lives and make things hard for them. You know, yeah. so the main character, Rudek, the Fox, um, I, I gave him these random flashbacks to a prior war that he was in. And I said, let's just see where that goes. I had no plan. I had no mm. plan for what that was or what that meant. Um, and gradually it became this main arc for him that, you know, overcoming, 
his sense of worthlessness because he's kind of been broken by war is actually why he's this border agent rather than, you know, fighting these main battles or whatever. He actually went to be a border patrol agent to be away from everything. Right. It started to just dimensionally become a deeper character or whatever. Dimensionally. Sure. <laughs> uh, big words are good. Yes. Um, so yeah, so it was really a learning process in terms of how do you know how do I even write these kind of characters to be compelling or interesting in any way? And so if you if you look at the first volume that that uh, was kickstarted in 2014 and published in 2015, it tells that story of like here here I am learning how to do this, and um, by the end of the book, you you actually have some characters who are kind of worth following. Right. Um, and volume two, which is currently um, live on Kickstarter, uh, collects the next section of about 60 comics where um, all of those character arcs really kind of get fully developed and, and get interesting. Right. Would you say that uh, like the, the first volume is kind of like phase one development, creation, ideas, uh, there were, anything goes kind of thing. Second one, mm -hmm. more refined. Uh, you know, you have a plan or at the very least an outline for a plan and you're kind of right. executing right. it. Like this is this is a vision as opposed to like developing skill. Correct. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. So so volume two is is going to have a kind of a wider appeal, I think, um, in that sense, because it's it's actually something where you're you're going to um, you're going to see that there's a structure to it, right? I did outline. I did think ahead. I rewrote every page multiple times before going through it. I thought ahead to how do I want these reveals to work? You know, again, it's just learning all of those things as I went. So yeah, that someday, finally, when I can put out this graphic novel that I want to put out, which is supposed to be like 60 pages and maybe like then two more volumes, blah, blah, blah. Like this huge thing that started as a doodle, which is just consuming my life. <laughs> it will, you know, it'll be a, of a quality in terms of the writing and art that I feel like I can, I can put it out there. Yeah. Uh, so here we are. We're five days away from the end of your Kickstarter for volume two, which is the execution of like kind of years of developing skill and, 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 and well, just, just the skills applied to character development, story structure, uh, panel layout. Cause it's right. not just, cause that's the thing is that you're not doing this, uh, uh for uh, a writer you're not uh, writing this for an artist you are the artist and the writer so you have to develop character while also figuring out where they are placed on the page and how they are drawn and how and right. to be able to you know achieve your three three quarter turns versus side yeah. view the, things i can't even fathom these are things <laughs> where whenever i developed anything in comic form i was like just just I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> it just make the guy cool. say the thing and make it look as cool as you want it to look. Uh, right. And you're right. like, okay, well, the burden of responsibility is really entirely on you. So, right. uh, but yeah. So, did you, uh, did you, you say how it's a lot of, like, a lot of it's self taught. It's a lot of it's just, just trial and error and executing what you have on the page. Um, right. What, uh, what other, you mentioned one book. Uh, what, uh, what other tomes or pieces of fiction did you use to kind of like help you along the way? Was there anything that really like kind of unlocked it for you or helped you like go, Oh crap. Like I wish I had that, you know, right, volume right. one. Um, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm very influenced by Disney, but probably not on a surface level. Okay. So let me unpack what I guess that means. Yeah, I, please. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of Disney influenced art out there is like, I want it to look like, Disney. I want right. it to look like the Disney characters and cartoons I grew up with, and that's what I want to pay homage to. But um, for me, I you know I wanted to learn. Basically, I wanted to learn 
how to create the kind of art you see in a comic um, series that came out in the 2000s and 2010s called Black Sad. Yes. And Black Sad is heavily Disney influenced in, in this deep way. Um, and what I mean by that is all of the principles of animation and character design and staging and layout that Disney animators in, invented and developed like over the course of the 20th century, like generations of people have been honing this as, as an art form. Yeah. Um, like all of that stuff kind of unlocked this for me. The, the, you know, when I'm, when I'm looking at laying out comic strip panels um, or a comic page, Right. I'm really not like, oh man, what would Ditko do? You know, like I'm not <laughs> in that way, although I love, you know, those kind of comics as well. I'm, I'm thinking like, how would Milt Call, you know, the Disney character lead animator from the 50s, 60s, 70s, how would he stage this character so that it most clearly tells the story? Mm. Um, and, and so a lot of the resources that I draw from are those resources. Um, there's a Disney book called uh, Drawn to Life, which is this huge compendium put together by the nine old men, these old Disney animators. Yes. Like, um, you know, Ollie Johnston, uh, Freddie Moore, I think is his name, um, who makes all those like voluptuous women. <laughs> um, and Milt Call, and, and he wasn't too involved because he was a cranky old bastard, but you know, all, they, they kind of drew from all of what they learned and developed over, you know, from like the 1930s, working with Walt on like the early stuff, Sleeping mm -hmm. Beauty, et cetera all the way through the 60s and 70s. Um, and so that's a great resource drawn to life. Um, and it talks about the principles of animation, things like squash and stretch, you mm -hmm. know, like how do you make something really look like almost a character caricature of how things move, right? Right. Um, you can't just like, like, you know, flash animation where like the thing is like a rigid thing that moves, yep. um, right? A bouncing ball squashes when it hits the ground, so. yeah. You know, masses and forms of human or character, you know, bodies as they move through space need to do that well. So even though I'm not doing animation, um, I think all of those principles that they kind of discovered make things read well, um, make make it easy for the eye to follow it on the page, et cetera. So that, that's where a lot of my um, kind of self-education has come from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny you mentioned the, uh, the eye reading across the page because I... Never usually, I know as a kid, I never thought about how I read comics and how I like in it, like you know, took them in, but I'm very hyper aware of them now, uh, mm -hmm. and or at least how I do it. And I do it in the exact inverse of you. And I remember you describing it where you will, if you if you read a comic, you'll read it with just the images, you'll just look at the pictures. Yeah. So maybe you've maybe this changed since the last time we talked about it, but like the way you described it was I look at the image and I see the pictures and if the pictures can tell the story, you know, maybe I'll go back right. and read some of yeah, the words I mean, they're yeah. saying, <laughs> Yeah, uh, but it has to, but the art has to tell the story and it has, you have to be able to read what's happening through image in order to like really get what's happening. Right. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge stickler for beat to beat, you know, am I, are the implied actions happening between the panels? Like, is there no confusion? Right. Like, yes. There's no way I could confuse what happens between this panel and that panel based on the way the action's laid out. Right. Um, and, and that's like a hard skill to learn, you know, I, that's something I'm still trying to perfect. Um, oh yeah. Oh no. I, I read them poorly. I, I read the bubbles first right. 
and I yes, will how it is exactly and and uh, I find when I'm reading a comic I will literally like I'll be at the end of the issue and go like oh that was kind of fun I didn't look at any of the art <laughs> like like literally right. you know like maybe my periphery got like the gist and that's kind of this like subliminal thing where the you know because I'm very dialogue driven so I'm very interested in how the characters interact with each other and what they're saying and so when I'm like paying attention to that if my eye is not distracted by the art for right. me, I'm like, Oh, it did a good job because like, I'm like the art reflected or helped to carry what the characters are saying. And as a result, like I miss so much. And so I find myself always reading a comic book twice where I will yeah. read it the way I normally do. Like I'm eating anything, you know, like, which is to, to say a bag at a time. <laughs> and, uh, and then I'll go back and then, you know, like I'll look at the calorie count on the bag that I've just finished. I'll look at the comic book and like, look at the art and kind of pour over like, wow, like look at the, right. look at the amount of work that went into this, 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 and this, or like, yeah. man, this really didn't, this would, mm, I would have hated this if I read it all at once. Uh, <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah, right. It's like the icing on top for you, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like me watching a movie and then you find all the Easter eggs you didn't see the first time. Right? Exactly, exactly. That's but I, I mean, like, and that's not to say like that the comic book for me is just words on a page and then I see like, oh, there are pictures in this. But like, <laughs> it is it is very much like a, a passive reading experience. Right. Um, thing right. Is, which is probably not the way you're supposed to read them. <laughs> but I, yeah, I find I, it interesting that like we all have different ways of it's true i mean my i you know i'm kind of reminded of now talking about this when, when i was a kid like my mom would always comment like i didn't read the funny papers i studied them yes and this was like before i could read so like the sunday comics would come in and i would just lay them out and i would stare at them for an hour kind of mm -hmm. thing and, and um so i guess that's just kind of how i've always been i've always been more art driven i've been attracted to the art of something and um you know and I, my writing kind of has to catch up i guess Sure. Um, and I guess your experience is kind of the reverse. Which, yeah. You know, you're a writer. That makes uh, sense. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but I may I mention that only because like it's it's funny how uh, our the things that like uh, our kind of like knee jerk, our, you know, habits influence our artistic expression and how like your the way that you study comic strips kind of informs how you make them. Yes. That's absolutely true, right? Yeah. Um, even to the point where I think there's images in my head that I kind of want to get to. So then I have to say, okay, how is the writing going to get me there? To that exactly, image? exactly. And of course, I'm sure there's also the like frustration of, I really want to get to this image, but I need several other images to get there in the first place. I can't yeah. just jump to it. Right, right. You know? That's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, and and sometimes I like, I like break my arm, patting myself on the back for, for things where it's, you know, the oh i've got like this image at the end of this comic and then in the next comic it's going to be like it's going to mirror that somehow or like yes. all these like visual things that you can do um but to to get there again like you said um can be frustrating yeah because, <laughs> <laughs> because you've got to tell the story you know exactly and, and i think one of my main as a comic maker as somebody who who does this and spends a lot of time thinking about it one of the biggest time sinks, one of the hugest chunks of the process is revising things so that it fits within the rhythm of the page, right? right. Like you might have all this stuff, that, I guess that, you know, I don't know, you have all this stuff you want to say in a certain strip or all this character development that all this dialogue is going to help you do. Mm -hmm. And then the final version for me will have cut that down like 80%. Um, to the point where I'm like, eh, this isn't really what I wanted it to say, but 
if the if if the rhythm of the page reads right, then okay, fine. That's that's kind of what what's more important to me, you know. Right, right. And so, so, oh, good. Go, go ahead. Oh well, I was going to say. So from that, we know now uh, what informed your creation of a comic strip and and where that led to when it got us to. Rudick and the Bear versus Zhuzhel and the Fox, which is on its way uh, right. in your mind. <laughs> Someday. I mean, uh, exactly. pages are done, but it's... Oh, nice. Yeah. But uh, so what made you decide? I mean, it's kind of a leading question. Obviously, we know what made you decide to go with Kickstarter as opposed to like doing it yourself. But like right. kind of put yourself in the position you were in when you first launched your initial Kickstarter and what made you like realize Kickstarter was a viable option and uh, and to right. then take us through the and, and of course we're talking about Kickstarter from 2014, which is a very different animal from 2021. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's talk like so we'll get from there to the comparison and contrasting and how like your whole strategy probably had to change when you sure. were pitching this this time sure. yeah so i mean if you go back to 20 something i don't know um my, my first well i guess it started in 2007 and uh, my first webcomic which was pear pear which yep. was again just kind of like let's throw it out there and experiment and see what happens and like yep. learn about how do i even post something online exactly um i remember being like at one of the only comic cons i've ever been to where you and i went um kind of like on the first day when everybody was still setting up and we were kind of trying to like you were trying to set up some interviews brad geigar was there of course and of course <laughs> like he wouldn't not be yep. and i remember that and then i remember like kind of going around in artist sally and talking to a bunch of different folks who had done what i wanted to do which was they had been doing a web comic and then they had gotten to the point where they had printed um their first volume or whatever you know their first story arc and we're there in Artist Alley with their books out and, and you know, doing the whole thing, you know, and, and I thought, well, this, you know, maybe this is where I want to be in a couple of years. So let me talk to these people. Yeah. And um, so there's this one comic, Rice Boy, uh, which is now actually, I think, one of the properties um, that Iron Circus has in their catalog. OK. You know, they, they, they do all kinds of Kickstarters now. Gotcha. Um, uh, they've done Abby Howard from, you know, who was in Strip Search again. Yep. Um, and has done The Last Halloween and, and some other web comics. Mm -hmm. um, so Iron Iron Circus has Rice Boy. But back then, back in 2010 or 11 or whenever it was, yeah, um, it was kind of this web comic that that the guy had printed up and said. So I said, like, talked to him. I said, you know, I'm kind of getting at the point in my web comic where I have like almost 50 or 100 or whatever it was. I'm like coming to a round number. Seems like a good time to maybe print a book. Um, what do you think? Like, what would be your advice? And uh, the guy's name is Evan Dom. Mm -hmm. And he said, like, round numbers are just arbitrary, man. Like, right. don't don't do this because you're at a round number. Like, build your platform, figure out who your audience is. And I was like, because <laughs> you know, I didn't know anything. No, yeah. At the time, I was just like, isn't this the next step? You know, right. isn't this what I do? In the handbook. Um, yeah. So and and so I said, oh, OK, so. Um, so kind of leading up to, um, Rudick and the bear volume one, uh, was this whole process. I said, let me figure out where do I, how do I do that? How do I build a platform? How do I put this in front of the people who are going to be interested in it? Yeah. You know, and it's an anthropomorphic animal story. It's, it's what back in the old days would be called funny animals. Like, you know, like a, uh, DuckTales comic. Right. Um, uh, or, you know, whatever it's this world of, of animals. And so. 
obviously I said, let me, let me see who would maybe want to see that there's, you know, DeviantArt and, and through DeviantArt, I discovered that there's this whole community of people who just want that, right. Um, you know, the furries, the furry community, um, which they get a lot of flack, but I will say everybody I've ever interacted with has been more than kind and supportive and, and great to work with. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and have supported my comics and given me great feedback all, all the way along, you know, that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, like even they, stuff like yeah. your Polish grammar is wrong in this comic. Like here's <laughs> what it should be. Like, thank you. you right. Know, like, I want it to be no, accurate. Yeah. No normal Polish person would find me to tell me that, but uh, a Polish furry from wherever, from Warsaw or whatever is going <laughs> to find that because I put it where they can find it. And so it was, it was great. Uh, it was a great way to start building that. And then, um, um, finding people who are into more alternative comics and everything. Um, cause web comics, you know, and this kind of, this circles back to your um, conversation with, with Dan from toy galaxy a few weeks ago. Right. Um, you guys talked a little bit about web comics and how like, that's not, that's not really step one anymore, you know, oh. like, but, but on the other hand, it's a free for all. It still is what it has always been, which is like, well, nobody's filtering and saying, here's what you can or can't do. Um, and so web comics are still for like, this niche fringe type audience, whatever that niche or fringe is, there's lots of niches and lots of fringes, yeah. right? Um, they will find you online and be a great resource to help you develop that. This is true. Um, right? yeah. yeah. It's, it's funny, funny where, uh, where web comics were and where they've come because we, when we started, we were like, oh, well, make a web comic, we'll throw it out online, the audience will find it, boom, we're, we're, we're cooking with gas. In the span of the inception of Rudick and the Bear to the Kickstarter, webcomics have transformed into like a thing that's on webtoons and nowhere right. else. Like right. it is literally like when we were like, oh, we should start a webcomic or you should create this as webcomic. Webcomics were already in de facto dead. Like, <laughs> like right, right. the ones who are going to be successful for being a website you go to to look at a webcomic. Right. They've already, everyone has yeah, already all made their money. Oh, yeah, they've, they've all market cornered, right? And it's they're dreading out. retirement because they know right. that they're going to die in a gutter somewhere. Like it's right. all like. And, and I remember uh, I was talking to you mentioned Geiger. Uh, he always used to maintain because he had webcomics.com. I think I don't know if it's still in, in business, but it might still be. But uh, but Geiger mentioned he was like one of his biggest caveats was is if it's good, the audience will find it. Right. Right. Is that still the case? And uh, or is it more like, yeah, but. <laughs> right. Yeah, but right. It is still the case. But I think because the, the landscape has changed where, you know, like any anything that begins as a bonanza, as a free for all structure and capitalism will come in and kind of oh, yeah. consolidate things. Right. Sure. So, you know, if you are someone in the industry who says, oh, I want to do a webcomic, you're not just going to throw it out there. Right. You're going to say, OK, what are the channels that I can hook into here? Right. Who do I publish my webcomic with? Which is something we never would have said in like 2008. Yeah, right? no. And that's funny because before that, webcomics had been something. Like webcomics were the consequence of like a business that wanted to drive traffic to their site. So they used right. webcomics to do so. And now it's gone full circle. And now it's that's where we are now. Or it's like right, right. We, Webtoons is a place where you go to get your webcomics. Or, right. you right. know, we, we talked about that for years. Like, why didn't JL8 become a webcomic that was on dc.com right like right. what are you doing and now right. it's like well now 
I don't know what you do <laughs> with, with because well, he doesn't own those characters because he literally can't do anything with them. Besides, right. Like put them right. up in front of somebody for free. Well, and that that's a great example too, of this other phenomenon of, of how social media has changed it. Right? Yes. Like you're going to see the same few things pop up in your feeds on Instagram or whatever. If you're like, Oh, I like comics. I'll follow that hashtag. Yep. It's not a place to discover fringe stuff or the stuff that is exactly what you want. It's a place to only discover what has already been there long enough to gain the algorithm and and right. so it, you know it's kind of like how do i how do i do it how do i break in and i think you know the key is the same thing it's always been is, is to be consistent and to not think of it as your end goal as your business model is right. i'm going to have a website people are going to come right i would yeah. say that for the most part um people who actually come to my website to read when i update is maybe a third at most probably smaller, you know, and, and other, like I posted in a couple different places. I used to post it on DeviantArt, but that kind of died off, um, yeah. but I still posted in a couple other places and, you know, I linked to it on Twitter and stuff. And, and um, it, th that's kind of not the goal even really. Right. It's like, sure. I'll drive you to my website, but it's not like I'm monetizing my website. It's not like my goal is to get clicks. It's not like I have Google AdWords running. No. None of that. It's just a place to keep it so that it's always there and archived. And so, because when people discover it on one of these other places via Instagram or Twitter or wherever, there's a place they can go to scroll through the archive and fall in love with the characters or whatever is going to happen. And um, that's the value of the website. Right? Exactly. So website's not there to make money and you can't think of it that way. No, uh, at least no. not in my experience. You know, well, and you, and you, and like we talked about off mic, the idea of like reducing the amount of barrier to entry to your right. product, uh, even right. if, you know, I mean, I know it's like sacrilege to, defer, to refer to this thing as a product, but like it, when it comes to anything you're producing for an audience, it's a product because they're consuming it. And it's like, you must reduce any amount yeah. of barrier. And it's you like, if, it to them wherever they are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You, like if you, because literally, like, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to check out Peter's Kickstarter, which only has five days left, I'm not using it as an ad, but I'm using it as an example. All you got to do to there's there's you can click it in the description or in the chat. And it's like only a one hundredth of you will do that. And it's like because there is this extra this extra jump you right. got to take in right. order to do it. And it's like, uh, look, I already clicked your website. I'm watching the thing happen in front of me. I'm not going to click or Don't look. Don't ask me to do anything else, please. Exactly. <laughs> and you and you need to have that mentality when you're creating something out there. Yes. Is like, you know, if you're getting anybody to watch your thing or read your thing or buy your thing, you're lucky. Congratulations. But like, right. don't ask them. Don't ask too much of them because right. think about you and your viewing and buying and consumption habits. Right, right. But, yeah, uh, for sure. Anyway, I, I think that's the thing. I'm so grateful when people do find it and interact because they don't owe me anything. They don't right. owe me anything, you know. Yeah. And um, and that's actually an interesting kind of if we want to get into Kickstarter nitty gritty a bit, yeah. an interesting way to do it. Uh, kind of an interesting segue. This idea that um, engagement, right? The the audience that you have and like the proportion of who's going to engage is actually a huge factor uh, in in running a successful Kickstarter. And this is something I was really not tuned into in a meaningful way for the first volume seven years ago, mm -hmm. uh, but something I really knew I had to tune into this time. Um, I think I, in some ways I got very lucky, um, you know, uh, the first time around with volume right. one, I said, I know I've got a certain amount of people following this comic. Let's see what happens. You know, uh, I've heard of Kickstarter, you know, I, I, it's other, it's a thing that other comics creators have done. 
Um, so let me try to do some math of what would it cost to produce this, how, you know, how many do I need to print? And then let me look at other Kickstarters for the kind of rewards they're offering people and just kind of like cobble together some copy of that that I think is viable. Right. Um, and I did, I think in some ways I did way more work than I needed to because of that, because I just didn't understand structurally how to do it. Um, and actually you, you helped out a bunch. You produced the video for that. That's for right. Yeah. Starter, <laughs> uh, which I'm still very grateful for. That was like oh, a huge no favorite at the time. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm so happy to do it. And uh, it's funny because of where we started and where it ended up because the production of that video need it. it there was a language. Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. how and there is now uh, of mm -hmm. how to present your kickstarter product to the potential kickstarters right uh and back then you know it's kind of like if it looked polished you know you you presented yeah. this air of professionalism so it's like oh i'm not going to get screwed because it like looks like the, the presentation is right is, is, is they're putting as much effort into this presentation. They're probably put the same proportion of effort into the product that I'm trying to get here. Right. Right. Whereas now it's about, especially because in the second phase, it's like, well, we've already established, I can do it. And in this, and we've already built the audience from there, but the video that you produced for this Kickstarter is so drastically different from the last one yeah yeah and it's about being clever and presenting it in like a in, in a in a entertaining way it's about right. entertainment as opposed to it is about just straight up being the you know hello i am the right. creator of this thing please for the love of god give me money to buy like, to make <laughs> it that's the end of my pitch goodbye you know now right. it's like oh well, like it's a whole thing it's like a dog and pony show where it's like presenting like not just what I'm trying to get you to buy, but also the personality of the person who's creating sure. it. I'm, I'm engendering myself to you, if that's the right, right word. Right. Yeah. I think I still, you still see people doing it the old way all the time where it's totally. like a 10, 12 minute long video. Here's my whole life story. It, if Ooh. I can use an example, I'll, like the Boglins uh, yeah. Kickstarter, which I have one. It's somewhere around here. <laughs> oh, it's right here. <laughs> I is it the same Boglin? It is the same Boglin as our previous Boglin, uh, but I I backed the Boglin Kickstarter. Yeah, because I was like forty five dollars for a Boglin, that's awesome. And it won't <laughs> disintegrate in my hands. I'm in. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm in, but uh, but his and and I had to basically like take every other aspect of the Kickstarter with a grain of salt because I was like at the end of the day I just want a Boglin. Right. But like there was right. nothing about that Kickstarter that said to me, I'm going to get a Boglin. Like I, the, actually that's <laughs> the only thing that I got from that Kickstarter was I will eventually get a Boglin. Right. That's all I need to know though. Right. That's all I need to know. Right. But everything right. else was like window dressing and like, but the video was like, hi, I have no microphone. I'm <laughs> filming this on a picnic table on my property. Please buy this. I have no intention of not making Boglins, even if you back me or not. You know, it's like this right. <laughs> by all the purposes, there's nothing that said it would work and it did anyway. Right, uh, right, and which is another thing that I guess is like a factor when it comes to creating your Kickstarter, which is like you never know, like yeah, for sure. So you know, like you you have to say how much how much effort do I need to spend on the video component when you know 
is it that essential to my success? Like Kickstarter right. pushes it, right? They say 80% of successful Kickstarters have a video. Sure. You, know, you better do that. I and agree. Then, they need a video. They want it consistent for their platform and, and, and all that. But, right. but they didn't say what the video had to look like or how professional it needs to look or how long it needs to be. So, you know, nope. shorter, just like be yourself, like just give me the basic information I need to know. Yeah. You know, um, so that yeah. that's something I learned. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you're clever, and like if it's back. if it's a fun, if, if it's engaging, that's, yeah, that's yeah. all you need. Right. Um, you know, maybe ten, 10 years of just being in this world where we live, where you're constantly trying to hone your message, even if you're not a corporation. Like, right? We, we all have brands for some reason now. Oh, every everyone mm-hmm. is a brand. Like, so you know, you're, you're literally you go to college, you, you go to high school, and it's like, well, that's yeah. Chrissy. Her, her brand is, you know, and you describe like who she is as a person and what she likes and dislikes. Yeah. I mean, like literally yeah, you're, you're given a, a platform to create yourself and, yeah. and present it to the world. So that's, you know, that's the part of it is being, having, having grown up with social media, you, I guess, have that now. As you're a, right. It, I don't know. So, sure. but, I mean, the video is such a small chunk of it. I think, you know, I, I think yeah. people do spend too much time obsessing over it. And I, I actually looked at a lot of um, failed campaigns in preparation mm. for launching my own. Um, I think that's very instructive. And I think anybody thinking about Kickstarter should do that. I think, you know, looking at the successful ones is actually kind of warping your perception of what to do. And I didn't know that the first time around. So coming coming to the second volume, I said, let me look at some of the failures of similar projects or comics projects. Um, and kind of the main fails you, failures were asking for the wrong amount of money okay, um, and uh, a video that was just way too long and, and unpolished where it was just like, what am I, why am I supposed to do a video? I, they told me I had to, so I'll just do it. But, and, yeah. Yeah. and so you see that a lot still, like, that's fine. But, you know, if you actually in Kickstarter, you have like analytics of how many people are watching your video through mm. for the first one, I think. It was something like 20, 25% of people watched to the video, which was actually impressive. And I'm grateful that people stuck around. Sure. For this one, it's something like 50%, which is a crazy watch rate, but it's because it's like a three minute video, you know? Right. Um, So, so people are still making that mistake. I think that, that they're putting too much effort and time into the video where they really don't need to. Now, how much is too, oh, good. Yeah. How much is too much effort? I think if you have to edit it, it's too much effort. <laughs> uh, you know, like um, do it all in one shot. Right. You, you can successfully be yourself, talk about what you propose to do and thank everybody in one shot. And that's literally all your video needs to do. They just want to see who's the person behind this, I think. Yeah. Right? Um, and that, that's, that's part of it is that there, when you put something on Kickstarter, part of the audience is the one you bring with you. But part of the audience is the Kickstarter audience who are just browsing new projects and want to see what's up. And, oh, this looks cool. I'm going to back that. I'll throw in five bucks, whatever. Right. People people do that. And they've done that on this project in great numbers, to my surprise and delight and, and gratitude. Um, but I, I think it's, again, because like you said, there's a language to it. Um, and looking at other projects, both successful and failed projects, it's a great way to learn what that language is and, and speak yeah. to it the right way. And I'm sure there's a language to failed Kickstarters where it's like you can see a continuity of like yeah. where what they did wrong. Now you mentioned too much money. How do you know how much is too much money? Yeah, so that's a great question. I think um, you know you see a lot of industry 
pros, seasoned comics creators on Kickstarter now, right? Yep. Because they're between jobs like, well, okay, I left DC. Maybe I'll do Marvel next year, whatever. Right now, I'm just going to make the comic I want to make. I'm going to get together with a couple of my other industry professional buddies. And we're going to make some kick-ass, awesome, crazy comic. And we don't have our own publication company, Kickstarter, right? Yep. That's great. They, the, you know, their funding goals are like 20,000 bucks, 40,000 bucks, 60,000 bucks. Like he's huge numbers. Yep. Huge to me. <laughs> That's a lot of money <laughs> to me. It's um, huge to them too. Trust me. Yeah. And, and it's like, okay, you can do that because you have like the built-in audience of all the people who know your work from the big two or whatever you worked for. But also because part of what you're proposing to fund is your salary for this project, right? Yeah. Uh, you, the creator that's running this Kickstarter, have a penciler, an inker, a colorist, a letterer attached, and each of those people have a salary, and they're going to ask industry rates, and so that's why you need twenty thousand dollars, you know, mm-hmm. um, because then on top of that is is the fact that probably you're going to have to print a larger number. Your run is going to be in the thousands or tens of thousands because of the number of people coming. Probably not tens of thousands. I don't know, thousands. Let's say. Yeah. Um, depends, yeah. depends on the size of the project, right? Right. Like right, the right. dusk that's running right now looks mm-hmm. awesome. Right? Yeah. That's huge, right? But it's for all of these reasons. These are industry pros, and it's not like they deserve more money. It's that this is their job, like this is their living, their livelihood, yeah. and they need to pay themselves to produce this for you. And you kind of accept that and know that that's that's how this works. Sure. But I'll see indie guys on there who say twenty thousand. Let's do it. You know. Um, I'm going to put together my 20 page thing. I'm going to ink it myself. Uh, you know, this is the story I want to tell. Um, and quote one, I looked at like, these were his words in his video. I, I figured Kickstarter would be a great way for me to break into the industry. Mm. So support me and, and my $20,000 goal and let's do this. It's like, no, like, sorry, <laughs> but no, <laughs> um, you know, you don't need $20,000 to do that. And you probably don't know how many comics you need to print either. Right. Right. So, so a huge part of being successful on Kickstarter in my experience is knowing the right number to aim for. And, you know, whether you're asking for $200 or $20,000, you can have a successful Kickstarter. It, it kind of doesn't matter. I actually, I backed, I backed a project recently where the funding goal was $275. Hmm. And she was proposing to, it was a full color comic, 20 page comic she had made herself. And she was proposing to print like 40 copies. So I'm going to print about 40 copies. Who wants on, who wants in? You know, right. I said, that sounds cool. Sure. You know, and it wasn't funded until like the last 48 hours or so. Oh. And boom, it got funded. And it was kind of like, she knew what her goal was. She knew much, how much money she needed to print the things she had already made. Yeah. You know, even though she's asking for so small, that didn't make me think like, does she know what she's doing here? Like, no, it didn't. It, you know, it was the right number for that, that what she was proposing to do. Right. Right. So and, it's and all it, about, it's all about what is your goal here? Yeah. You know? is, is there a way to recognize where the success is? Like where, when you saw that she was funded, like within 48 hours of the end of the campaign. It's like, oh, is that like kind of like a shorthand of being like, yeah, you you knew what you needed, but like, I don't know. It was there were was there room to 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 move around? Because you know, right nowadays, right. if you talk about Kickstarter campaigns, you you have to talk about stretch goals and you have to talk about like right, what else right. is part of the campaign. And it's like, 
you know, to a layman, it seems presumptuous to be like, well, what else are we going to add to this thing? Well, when we get 100% funded, obviously we're going to be, you know, stretching on past that. And it's like, even if you have an expectation and you have an audience, that's not necessarily guaranteed. Right, right. Well, that's the thing that so so this is where the idea of like the minimum viable product comes in, mm. which is a, a term I only know because my wife works for a startup. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but that's what you need to know is you need to say, OK, based on what my goals are, what's my minimum viable product and can I get there? You know, so say for me, it's to print 100 books. OK, so I you know, that's not necessarily my goal. Let's right. say my goal is to break even and to introduce more readers to my work. Okay. I'm not here to make money on this, on this campaign. I'm here to do those two things. You know, I want to put books in my readers' hands. I want to, as a way to almost like encourage them and thank them for the support and helping me develop the product I want to develop. I want to put the book in their hand, but I'm not going to make a profit and that's not my plan. My goal is to, is to break even and not have it cost me money and, right. and to, to introduce more people to my work because Kickstarter, like I said before, has, has its audience. Yeah. And um, they're there because they like independent comics and that's my product. So here, maybe you want this, right? Um, So, so let's say based on that goal, I say, okay, I don't need, I don't need 500 copies of this book. I need like maybe a hundred. Let's start there. Yeah. So then I price that out. I look at a a printer or I talk to a printing company, a, a book binder, and I say, how much would it cost per unit? You got to include shipping, blah, 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 right? So let's say it costs like about 30 bucks per unit to do this. So then you say, okay, multiply all that, add Kickstarter's fees, blah, blah, blah. You kind of get a rough number. But is that the number? Is that your funding goal? You know, let's say like, you know, 3,000 3, would be like 30. Is that, is, am I doing math right? Like yeah, 30 so. bucks a book, 100 bucks, mm-hmm. 3,000 bucks. Yeah. Plus Kickstarter fees, plus credit card processing fees. Let's call it 4,000 bucks. Right. Uh, plus shipping, all that stuff. Let's call it 4,000 bucks. So is that my funding goal? Probably not, not if, right? Not if I can't sell 100 books, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, so so I think the part of the equation that, that you know, again, like I'm kind of addressing this to, to people in, in your chat or in, on your channel who are maybe interested in how this all works, but also might be interested. I know there's a lot of artists and, and, and people who love comics and want to create comics in, in yeah. Your, yeah. you know, in the population. Um, so I'm kind of addressing this to those people. Um, the, the, the idea is that you've got to know, you've got to know not just the size of your audience, but the scale of engagement of your audience. Mm. Right. So this, this comes back to what you were saying before about like, you know, making, making things accessible because there's only a small fraction of people who are going to go to the extra effort of, of clicking something. Um, those are the awesome people, you know, those are the great evangelists who say, this is a great product and tell everybody about it. Yep. But yep. But what is that like in your experience, like 0.1% or something? It's yeah, it's yeah, very it's low. Very low. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, in the great, in the direct proportion of what you, you know, I mean, like in YouTube terms, obviously, you know, they, they talk about it being engagement and, uh, and right. they, talk, they, they measure it in watch time, you know? Uh, but yeah, there it's, it's, yeah, it, I, I always use the fictitious scenario of like a sponsor contacting a channel with like a million subscribers and being like, well, if only we can, if we just get 10%, yeah. Like and, and 10% of a million, like that's, 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 you know, amazing for us. And it's like pittance to you. So obviously that's the number I should be. And it's like really more like 0.01% right, right, right. <laughs> of the people yeah. are going to, who are watching a video go like, wow, yeah. World of Tanks does seem like a cool game. And then click the link in the description below. Right. Like, that's, 
that's really well, the number. <laughs> that's that's so interesting because it actually, I, in my belief in my experience, the bigger that number is, the the, the tighter lower. the curve is. Yeah, the tighter the scale is, the logarithm or whatever. You Absolutely. Oh yeah, because yeah, with us it is higher. Like I'll take the Pepsi challenge with any channel with two point eight million subscribers because like ours, right. we we have we have like a, a higher saturation of dedicated right. audience members to subscriber right. base. Right, um, right. And so that that's the number that really matters. So like I have yeah. a pretty small audience, but I have an audience who who I know pretty well. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I think helped me to structure this the right way is I, is I kind of looked at it and I said, okay, let me let me start with the basic idea of if I add up all of my followers on different platforms, just to yep. get a ballpark of where I'm starting from. Right. Let's say like, you know, who follows me on Twitter, who follows me on Instagram, who follows me on like uh, DeviantArt, blah, 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 blah. Um, and if I add all of those up, I get to a certain number, but I know that's not how many books I'm going to sell on Kickstarter. Right. And I know I can't, it's not probably 10%. I actually have to look at how each platform behaves because they behave differently, you know? Yeah. yeah. So what I did was I kind of made a little quick and dirty spreadsheet of like each platform, how many followers, what engagement rate can I predict based on my experience of, of how folks behave? Do they like, do they comment? Right. It's like, if I have a thousand followers, will a hundred of them like, you know, I'm trying to figure out what that number is. Yeah. Will 10 of them comment. Will one of them buy something from me? You know, like yeah, yeah. 0.1%. Um, and, and so, you know, I didn't do it in that much detail, but I, I really thought about like, okay, I know that the folks on this site really like to comment you know, they like to comment and that's how they interact with me. I comment back. We have fun conversations about things going on in the comic. Um, people say, oh, the tank that you drew in this comic is actually blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, people who are into history like my comic because it's yeah. the interwar, uh, you know, people like the vehicles that I draw. Like, so there's all these different ways that my um, that my readers uh, interact with me that that give me clues about what is valuable to them and how they might engage and stuff like right. that. So, you know, it's like, okay, once I kind of figured out what percentage can I even expect to like look and maybe fund that gave me this much smaller number that was to be honest, pretty close to where we ended up like a couple weeks into the campaign. So, so like for whatever reason, my, my weird math kind of, uh, validated me, right. <laughs> but I think, again, it's just cause I kind of know my, my audience and I, and I did the work and I thought about it. Exactly. Um, and so that helped me to think about how, you know, how many should I be printing? How many books should I be printing? But the other fun funky thing that I think people might not think about is rewards tiers and structuring them the right way. Yes. In terms that's of always, that always trips people up. Yeah. And so you could actually lose a ton of money on that. Um, and we were pretty lucky for the first time around that we didn't, um, you know, cause I kind of, like, like I said before, I cobbled together, like things I saw other Kickstarter, uh, projects doing yep. and, and a lot of the swag that gets offered at the higher tiers would be very much just like merchy things, a poster, a sticker pack, pins, a, a yeah. pin, um, you know, all these things that you have additional manufacturing costs for. And, and so, you know, you put that into the equation and if it makes sense, it makes sense, but um, you could end up with a lot of stuff sitting around or, or, you know, like it might just not make sense. Right. And, right. and it's because you didn't think about, well, didn't, does my audience want those things? Right. <laughs> does my audience want stickers of my characters? Where are they going to put them? Like, yeah. <laughs> like all that kind of stuff. So I thought about what, you know, what is it that my audience seems to really value 
Um, and I think my answer was they value the idea that they can immerse themselves in the world that I'm creating. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, so I, so I said, well, what are ways that I can offer them that in a way that can offset the costs of production that, that actually makes sense and is, is nice, you know, and I feel like I'm pulling the veil away a little bit here by discussing sure. this, but I mean, is that, uh, I mean, I, I, we definitely don't want to treat your audience like it is uh, a commodity or that yeah, it is I don't take uh, manipulatable. Any of that for granted at all. Right? Exactly. You know? No, it's just, it's just, but it is when you're talking about the, the nitty gritty of any industry, you know, you have to talk about the numbers and those numbers like uh, do technically reflect like human beings. <laughs> and right, it's like, right. but it is about like, uh, so like how how can I offer you what it is you value rather exactly. than like, like trust my me, stickers no. because I need your money right like right well, and I hear that the people want stickers or I've seen other people give stickers and it's like right, right. I, I don't I can't tell you how many stickers I've thrown away from campaigns <laughs> where I'm like right. I, I'm I'm not nine yeah yeah so there's it's nothing like I'm going in to the box with it and you know cool but here's the thing I actually bought right right and so you're talking about giving your all and so if you want to spin it another way it's like well what 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 how can i offer my my audience something they actually value yeah yeah exactly so that's that's what i tried to do and so i came up with a couple different like um i could draw you in to like i'll have like an extra comic that i'll do just for the book you can be a character in that mm -hmm. um doing an illustration on the end papers in the front and back of the book that are um there's like 15 different spots where it's going to be like an illustration of a traffic jam and period vehicles <laughs> um, and just different people who are supporters are going to populate those, those cars. That's so it'll cool. be fun. It'll be a way for them to, um, to enjoy being a part of that world you know, right. and, and to deliver that, that sense of, you know, community or belonging to that thing, which, which to me is like more valuable than like, Oh, what, what other junk can I send you? Cause that's really what it is. Like, especially because your audience is, I, I assume your audience skews older as opposed to like, there aren't a lot of 11 year olds reading right, right. Rudick and the bear. And so as a result, like this cartoon, I mean, it's right. Exactly. It's They're not, adults. It's not NSFW, but it's not, it's not aimed at kids. Right? No, exactly. Uh, so as a result, your, your rewards can't be, you have to really reflect the same thing where it's like, you right. probably live in an apartment or you have your, your a house and you can't have junk lying around and you probably have a box full of pins from Kickstarters <laughs> and other like and conventions you've gone to. And you're like, what the hell am I ever going to put these on? Like, no, yeah. think about the rewards and, 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 and tailor them to the audience that you're actually trying to like encourage yeah. to, to support you. Yeah. And if you don't know what they value, figure it out. I mean, try asking them. Right. Yeah. Um, and all that being said, I did have a few, pins and patches from the first campaign left over that I said, well, let me throw them in as add-ons. Yeah. Add-ons, I believe, did not exist back then. I, don't, back I when. think you're right. right. Yeah. Right. So this was kind of like a revelation to me. I was like, oh, this is great. I don't have to structure like 12 different tiers. Yeah. But it's like, if you do this one, you get the book and the pin. This one, you get the book and the patch. This one, you get the book, the pin and the patch. What if you want <laughs> the pin and the patch, but not the book? Like you had to do each as a separate tier. And yes. it was insanity. So, so this is great. And, and I was able to say, you know, if people want these great, they can, they can add them on. Um, and if not, they don't. And, and actually all of the patches sold, I oh, think wow. like 30 pins went and all of, all of volume one has gone. So I had like an oh. extra box of like 30 copies left over They're They, they're all gone. It's officially out of print, which is wow. like, wow. And that's you awesome know. because you, you, you were able to take what you learned from the first campaign, apply it to the second campaign and, the second campaign, I assume, had more people technically. 
involved. We just passed that bar, in fact, which is interesting too, because um, a few weeks ago we passed the funding goal of the original campaign, but we had fewer backers. Oh, so the type of engagement was uh, higher. Was, was higher. Was different, mm -hmm. and and the type of value I think again, the type of value I offered for the higher tiers was was hitting home better. Absolutely. I, you know, and so so the fact that we just like a couple days ago kind of passed the the number of original backers from volume one was awesome uh but yeah. i mean we've just passed it which which means that you know well i don't know what it means it might mean a number of different things but... yeah sure true yeah well because because you have to assume there's some kind of measure of drop off i i always talk about like when i'm thinking about subscribers or viewers or, or audience members it's like our, our numbers stay the same but you know there's always going to be a percentage of drop off so it's like we always have like a, a turnover right like right. there's some folk who just drop off for whatever reason there's no reason to speculate but like that 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 proportion of drop off is replaced by new blood right and they're and they're enthusiastic because they're just learning about this world. exactly so like it's actually it's an exchange where where the value goes up i think I think so too. And uh, you're skewing to the point where like you are creating, I mean, like this is thinking future, but like you're creating generations of people who have some connectivity with your, with your, with your product. So yeah. it's like, you know, people who are like, Oh, like the people in their fifties going like, Oh, I remember that comic. God, I like that what they're doing. You know, like I, I remember reading it back in such and such. And then people being like, you know, Oh man, like I grew up reading this thing. And then some folk, you know, it's it just, yeah, yeah. Until you have like, until you have like three generations worth of people being like, I all, we all have different affinity and authorship over or ownership of your, uh, of your right, product. Right. That's kind of cool. Yeah. It is cool. It's it's an amazing thing to to think that you're a part of in some way. Yeah. Know, <laughs> like Absolutely. Said, the audience is small, but they're very engaged and and they're very supportive and they're very I'm grateful for for all of that. Um, to to think that something I've created like matters to someone else in that way is just mind blowing. You know. It is. Yeah. Uh, so going through the Kickstarter thing, cause we're, we're wrapping up, but like, I don't want to, I don't want to prematurely end the show without imparting as much as we can. Um, and we talk about how, uh, you really need to research, uh, Kickstarters. You need to know your audience. You need to measure that audience and see, and, and give them what they want. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. are there any other like straight away, no question, like facts about, funding your own kickstarter having your kickstarter funded that you're like you can't forget this yeah like don't forget to to price out how much packing tape you need <laughs> like stuff like that. Or you think, okay postage got it i'll factor that in well b boxes oh boxes awesome. right yeah um you know, packing tape you know yeah um, all that stuff um um give yourself time because that's the only way you're going to catch all of those things to think yeah. about what, what you need to include in the cost um, I think, I mean, more than anything, it's, it's, it's about knowing what your goal is mm -hmm. and, and scaling it to what that goal is. I think, um, I'm trying to think the, I mean, from the creative side too, not just from the financial side, like, of course. Is my goal to make a living or can I do that? Is my goal to, to put something out there? Can I do that? But, but also from the creative side, know what you want out of it. I think right. that would be my kind of final thing for people to think about because, um, you know, at, at, at this point, if, if I'm able to keep going and developing these comics and get the graphic novel out there, I think those goals will change for me. Absolutely. But at this point, um, you know, creatively, the goal is, is to say, you know, is this, is this world as like, as like, I don't want to say intellectual property or whatever, but as a, as a place that people want to go, 
mm -hmm. mentally and enjoy, right? And and be a fan of is this is this viable world? Um, you mm -hmm. know, beyond just like, hey, support me as I learn to draw better, which is I feel like more what volume one was, and and I'm grateful for the support that came in for that. Sure. Uh, you know, if it, my creative goal for this one is is this working as as a, a world universe. that you want to live in as a universe that you want to live in as a reader we talked about um, that a little bit uh with dan over at uh, toy galaxy when we talked about the development of my old co uh, my old property horseman and mm -hmm. uh, all the other I i've done what six comic properties over the past like decade or two and ultimately at the end of the day like realizing that you know they're not viable or that these universes right. do not have an audience or knowing th knowing in your heart that there is an audience but like then realizing that that's that, that audience is one <laughs> right right this is the comic i want but no one else exactly yeah. Uh, yeah. but that's 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 the kind of reality uh and truth that you need to have when you are creating anything i think right. it's like recognizing and because, you know, people say, like, never give up on your dreams. And it's like, yeah, like well, your dreams terrible. So <laughs> but your, if your dream sucks, like you should definitely if your dream is to, like, you know, scale a skyscraper wearing, you know, a thong, like maybe you should rethink it. You know, like it's not right. all like not every dream is, uh, you know, based in some measure of like reality and, and yeah. Or, well, or refining yeah. that dream or maybe like just because you had that dream when you were 12 doesn't mean that it should be the same dream as, as like a 35 right. year old. It's got to grow with you and, and it's got to respond to to the community that you want to put it into. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's it. Right. It's it, it's again, if you can say to yourself, here's what I want to achieve for me. Here's what I want to achieve in terms of um, an audience. If you can kind of answer those questions first and then price it out, I think you can have a successful Kickstarter, whether it's a $200 campaign or a $20,000 campaign doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, um, but, it, but it is important to know exactly what uh, your, your, your campaign is going to cost or how much you should yeah, ask for, yeah. because the worst thing in the world is to you ask for too much and to scare away your backers. Uh, right. I know there's also like, there's a moratorium on the amount, of, at least when I, when I did it, and this is going back a long time, uh, you couldn't create a Kickstarter. Like you couldn't create them like back to back. Oh, interesting. I don't know if that's true anymore. I was actually in there poking around like for what's my next project, like yeah. setting up a page while this one is still running mm -hmm. and it was allowing me to do that. I mean, it might, oh, cool. it might pause me before I pressed go on that. I'm obviously not going to press go on that right now, but no, <laughs> but the interface has evolved a bunch. I mean, I, that's great. Know, we're, we're like old timers when it comes to Kickstarter, right? It's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my whole yeah. Kickstarter campaign, uh, you know, I I think they it had just started that year, and I was like, oh, I can yeah yeah I can use Kickstarter to do this. That's amazing. I remember that. Yeah, and and then and so that was for Garth Kirby, and yes. you were, you were uh, again you were kind of following the model of I'm the writer. I need to attach talent. I need a penciler and inker and all that. And yep, um, working with that model, right? Yep. But again, yep. Kickstarter was very young, and you didn't have kind of a lot to draw from in terms of what are the different ways I can model this, right? No, so. no, it was uh, it was fascinating how like different it is from how different it was from 2014 today and back then. But, you know, it's so it's funny how similar some of those goals are. Like I needed to factor in how much, you know, everything was. I had to create a budget. Right. Um, back then, you know, like I literally like I was I, I, I put Kickstarter on the side and was like I reached out to a, an artist and an inker and a colorist and um, negotiated page rates and color rates mm -hmm. and all that stuff and got that all like locked in first. This was, and, and I 
I never committed myself to something I couldn't afford out of pocket. Right. It's right. one of those things where I'm like, the comic's happening, whether it's Kickstarter or not. Right. Um, but we're going to factor that in when we created it because I was like, because I was broke and I had no money. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yeah. So we did that. And, uh, and the Kickstarter was just like, help me make this a thing. Help print. I think that was what it was. Right. I was paying for it out of pocket. So it was like, help print the right. book. Um, yeah, because printing is like another thing in terms of expenses. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Expensive. Yeah, and we got that. And yeah, and we got that down. And uh, yeah, um, and we had to do it all over again, like right afterwards. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. But again, it's kind of like you knew what your goals were, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Because I was like the like the book's happening, whether you know whether it's kickstarted or not. So like the, my goal is to have a limited print run so that I could have it. And my goal was like to have it picked up by a publisher. Right, right. So it's like I need like tester copies that need to be going out to right. publishers. Um right. and I want to be able to sell some of these like you know at conventions and build a word of mouth. Uh, there was no good like strategy. There was no like real like clear path. Um and I would not advise that would to be the, your case like to be the way to go. Uh especially <laughs> right. cuz even Comicsology submit like the books on that and I don't think they even I don't even know if they do Comicsology submit anymore, but like um that didn't exist back then otherwise it would have been like oh i'll put it on commissology submit right i'll right. create little cards oh, i need to pay for printing it right like exactly yeah. If, yeah. especially yeah especially if they're not going to read it anyway <laughs> right right well and that's one reason that i i wanted to publish these as like hard covers with a dust jacket like it's as an object it's something worth having it's a little bit more luxurious and stuff like yeah you know so so again it's this question of why am i printing it right you mm -hmm. know for you to have some to pass out like that's a reason and so you can scale it to what that was at the exactly. time and and for me it's the same thing right it's it's like i i don't just want to have it on my shelf <laughs> right you know, right I want, I want to create a product that the people who have been along the ride can enjoy owning yes but you know let's go kickstarter because then i can also achieve this idea of like is this a viable world for people to immerse themselves in and mm -hmm. can can i introduce it to to a broader audience and keep building my platform. Right? Exactly. Cause that's, yeah. I mean, it's funny how, um, you know, when you're developing your own universe and you get to the point of seeing it realized in the, on the page, yeah. uh, your mind goes to the next thing or to where you'll want to take it. And maybe if like, from the perspective of like, Oh, I'm trying to develop my skill and I'm using this as an opportunity to do so. You're not quite in that mindset, but at this point now, like as far as goals are concerned with with this property right i mean like and i'm only using it from the perspective of a youtuber talking about it where it's like <laughs> yeah. it's, a, yeah. it's a property it's an ip yeah. uh you know what is next and it's like is it another volume is it a graphic novel uh you know like if you like black said you mentioned uh yeah, yeah. you know that that was a series of original graphic novels i don't think it was ever a web comic or anything i think it was no, just like they no. were just painted books that <laughs> right beautifully beautifully painted books that's right, right. That i learned so much from and just wanted to copy because i thought they were so beautiful yeah uh, uh and and then they approached him for a video game right right so there is yes. a black sad game uh there and is. i don't know how successful it was but like um i don't know either i mean i think it had pretty favorable reviews but it was kind of so niche that it yep. never really took off. And that's um, the thing is like recognizing, you know, is this viable is like, you know, recognizing when you're being entertained by alternatives to what you've been working in to your wheelhouse. Like, let's say they were right. like, Oh man, 
Riddick and the Bear is a great thing. We want to make, you know, like syndicated cartoon shows out of it. And it's like, well, is that the right thing? You know, it's, 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 yeah. yeah. But those are the kind of problems you want to have, right? Because yeah, this thing that people want to live in, or at least, you know, those up there are like, oh, we recognize your thing as having value and therefore we are willing to give it to more people. Yeah. Next steps. Yeah. Gee, I don't know. I mean, maybe uh, we'll see a Polish edition. And, oh, that'd be cool. Kind of expand into the Polish market. Um, it's it's a possibility. Um, Has there been a demand for uh, for like for multiple languages? Like a very small one. Right. Okay. Like, I do have readers all over the world. I've got, yeah. I've got Kickstarter backers from multiple different countries, which I have to figure out how to ship to. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, but I will figure it out. And it's, um, it's interesting to see that, but it's, it's not huge, but I do have like, again, like you talk about this kind of the scale of your audience engagement, right? That really small, but really highly engaged part of my audience. Mm-hmm. Some of them are uh, Polish or Belarusian or like from Finland or whatever. And they all have like, um, family histories connected with world war ii that they see reflected in the work i'm doing gotcha. right? so it's it's like a personal value that they can place on it which is like incredible yeah to me um but yeah but i mean we did we for the first volume we actually as a stretch goal because again i was just kind of like trying to figure out what what can i do here what can i offer right one stretch goal was a polish translation uh, that we would put out as an ebook and oh, so that's that's just kind of been out there and hasn't really seen much demand. Um, mm. I've offered it here and there as like, you know, something uh, on different platforms. Um, but, I, you know, I, I want to say it's an it's an ebook. And so you never know how many copies exist out there. But I would yeah. say probably like, you know, 20 copies of it exist. Like it's just not out there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you know now they actually have kind of like a Kickstarter analog in Poland, uh, it's called Vispiramto, which means I support it. <laughs> um, I support it, I like and um, yeah. so maybe that's why. Maybe that's an idea I can explore. Um, yeah. Working with someone over there who can help me navigate because I don't speak Polish. But uh, right. so that's a possible next step. Another possible next step is like, well, now that we've got the hard covers, um, would there be a viable demand for like a trade paperback kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so these these are all great things for me to learn about and then explore. Mm-hmm. So it, it's almost like. There are so, you know, there's so many next steps in terms of what to learn. And that's always, that's kind of been my defining uh, aspect of this whole thing, of this whole decade long project. Is, yeah. You know, what, what can I learn? What can I learn? What can I learn? Um, more, more so than can I make a living at it? Maybe I'll get there. But, but I can't have that be my goal right now because it's just going to crush me. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, because when you look at your, your data, you see like, is it reflecting that? You know, if it was. Yeah. You know, if it was one thing, you know, maybe, but if not, right. like at the very least, it'll help to get the next thing. And it, there's enough. And that's the thing is recognizing like, you know, what percentage is enough or what, you know what I mean? Like recognizing like, oh, is this viable or is this something that like people want, you know, like, right, if you're, right, right. If you're doing one thing and like the same and your mom keeps watching the, or, or reading the same <laughs> thing. And that's the right. only person that's there. Maybe you might want to consider something else. Uh, maybe, right. you know, but but the, what's funny is you will get better every time. Right. Because like, right. if you keep doing it, you will eventually end up hopefully at a place where you will create something that someone will want. And right. Uh, right. You, you were fortunate enough where when you were learning, when your first volume came out and you were learning, you would already. It's funny because I think that the pair pair strip helped to start the For cultivation sure. of an audience because, For sure. you know, even though it's apples and oranges, no pun intended. 
uh, <laughs> between those two strips and those two audiences. But yeah. it was like, you know, they, well, they, they taught me how to interact with an audience. Exactly. Yeah. It created, yeah, generated any any amount of like people coming to you expecting yeah like art and then you both going okay like right i yeah i, I generated that language about how to yeah, yeah interact to, with an audience exactly I, I had a guy email me like i want to say like years after i kind of it's like been defunct i haven't really updated it in probably eight years or something but i had a guy email me like what happens i need to know <laughs> I need closure that's fair i've been like i've been in that place yeah. where i find something or i've i was part of something and i'm like whatever happened to that nothing yeah. cool yeah yeah, well, yeah, you know. How does Gargoyles know. end? Tell us. Wait, Wiseman, come on. <laughs> nope, sorry. <laughs> no. Well, Disney's like, no, forget it. You can't know because nobody cares. A lot of people care. We all care. No. Yeah. Like, well, we don't care. So well, that's the thing is that I don't, I don't value it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but that's another reason why you want to keep things in house always. <laughs> of course, right, right. you know, you could just email that guy and be like, here's what happens to them. Yeah, I'm never going to tell. Don't I'm tell never anybody. Here's what happens. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you're like i deleted it i don't know screw that yeah. <laughs> if i had any idea or outline of where it was going i don't i don't think i recall actually pear pear was kind of set to evolve into a tumbler mm-hmm. where i was gonna do kind of a designy thing that was kind of my plan for pear pear you know oh. it, it, it had evolved into this thing where it was like you know every week or so i was trying to put out like the next step in this wordless comic of anthropomorphic cups and fruits and whatever in this house and yep and so you know i I guess i kind of petered that out in terms of what i wanted to explore artistically so then i said well you know what this is actually kind of a very designy thing it's kind of like i could see these characters as prints on handbags or something i don't know yeah Um, and so i said well let me i'll put together like a tumbler and like set it up so that i can just i can just keep posting these kind of design ideas of how to do these different characters and different patterns or whatever whatever i don't know it's kind of my plan because this was in 2014 2015 this was in this was october (laughs) (laughs) this was october 16th 2015 and i'll tell you why i know that in a minute um when tumblr was like still a place that like maybe people would go to like like build an aesthetic and say these are the things i like to look at now that's of course instagram so if i were to do it today i'd do it on instagram but but anyway I was setting that up. I was setting up the Tumblr. I was uploading some images on there. I was trying some different things. And uh, my wife came in the room and said, I don't feel right. I think we need to go to the hospital. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was the day my son was born. That's right. And so Pear Pear is, is over. Evaporated. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And this also explains why it's been seven years between volume one and volume two of Rudick and the Bear. Yes, um, <laughs> that would explain it. Full time gig, right? So, yeah, that's <laughs> your children will thank you for it. <laughs> yes, well, maybe. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but listen, ladies and gentlemen, if you're interested, check it out. Uh, there's a link in the description and in the chat and in the comments. So there's no, you just have to scroll or just just look with your eyes and you'll find the link. Uh, but check it out. You're five days away uh, from. Right. Not yeah, only for, to put a book in your hands if you're if you're into it. Um, yeah, and that's the thing. Not five days away from from funding. Five no, days we're away funded. from funded. We're almost two hundred percent funded. Um, you know, so I got nothing to lose here. I'm I'm really just here to, to to chat and BS with Sal, and and it's been a ton of fun. Same, yeah, man. Thank yeah. you. And I think we got some. We we hit some really important notes. Like I I was kind of keeping some notes as we went. Like just 
in terms of developing a property and also kickstarting where I'm like, there's a few like notes here that came from our conversation where it's like, have something to say, determine your audience, get it in front of them, research, know your audience well, and more importantly, know your goals. Yeah. Number one, know your goals. Why am I doing this? Right. Don't just assume, oh, Kickstarter, that's what we do. Right. Right. Because there is no logical next step for create. Because at the end of the day, you are creating art, whether it's, you know, right. a painting or a comic strip or a video like it's 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 expressing yourself personally. And so like it's it's about knowing why you're doing it. Uh, and, you know, you don't it's OK to not necessarily know why you're doing something when you're doing right. it. But have some kind of interim goal. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it doesn't have to be the grand goal. It could just be like milestones. Right. That's all. I remember that was uh, that was a big thing when uh, our mutual friend Tim used to give me that all the time where he was like, create milestones. That's one of the most important things is milestones. Right. They've got to be specific. They've got to be achievable. Right? Yep. And then reach to the next thing. Like, right. you know, once you've reached that milestone, you go to the next milestone and just develop those. And you'll see like a pattern that like emerges from just doing (laughs) and you'll be like oh that looks like it was a path i created for myself that i like predeterminedly wrote and it's like no (laughs) that's so true you kind of have to trick yourself right that that's i mean this is bigger than kickstarter this is just being a successful creative right and how you measure success is up to you but right you know you can't just say there's everest i'm a climate let's go right right gotta you know you gotta say well i know that today i can get there right exactly you know yeah Well, uh, yeah. So click the links, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, we'll see you guys next time with another episode. Uh, Peter, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so uh, much for having me. My pleasure, man. Hopefully we'll uh, do this again. And I want to give a special quick shout out to those of you who kickstarted, not kickstarted, we already did that, but uh, who who super chatted uh, and and, and shared their thoughts. Scarlet Hottie said, always a great show. Thank you, Scarlet Hottie. They were very sweet, very presumptuous because he said it like right before the show started. Uh, (laughs) It better uh, be good. Exactly. Mr. Q-Man had an adorable pair uh, saying, keep it up. Uh, nice. thank you very much and uh, i believe that's it but uh for those of you in the chat who were supportive of peter and myself thank you so much for uh for always maintaining positivity and for being here and uh, hanging out with us and uh, that's it so thanks a lot see you next week Goodbye from batu <laughs> <laughs> oh we got a cameo we were filming for six hours and by the end i was like i can't do it anymore <laughs> no <laughs> yeah we shot oh. that all at once whoa yeah, Crazy. I was I was literally getting sick as we were making the show. Like I had a cold and it was getting worse as the show went on. <laughs> I had like Ben's a pile of tissues. Fish in a bag and God knows what, and you're just like, oh. I was yeah, I was like sweating. If you could see it, because it's an HD, I'm just dying. Uh, but we did it, and I was like, I'm gonna try and still be funny. <laughs> anyway, all right, so long, all right. everybody. Good stuff, all right, thank. You.